0: Welcome to the Calvary Lake Ozark message podcast. Wherever you are tuning in from today, we hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like more information about Calvary Lake Ozark, visit calvarylakeozark.com. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. And I just want to say, like, we, we, we're entering this holiday season, and, and for most of us, this is a great season, great time of, family and friends and get-togethers and food and, and all of that. Um, but also, this season's kind of hard for some of us because we might not have great families or good friends or we might be spending it alone or maybe we've lost a loved one. Or I just want to give you guys grace in that as well, that, you know, you, you feel awkward, you know, we have already asking each other, you know, oh, how was Thanksgiving? It's okay to say, you know what, it's hard. That's okay. We, I hope we can be real and transparent. Sometimes it's just hard. But I want us to be open and honest with one another. And this hopefully is a safe place that we can say, you know what? Holidays are hard for me. And for whatever the reason would be. And, and we don't have to walk around and have like a, a mask on that we're, you know, too blessed to be depressed and everything's hunky-dory and fine. And how could I, how could I be depressed and upset or sad when we have the blood of Jesus? And, no, you still can you still can. Look at the lives of the disciples. Look at David. They had the Lord and still had moments where it's like, hey, life, life is really hard. But always see it through the lens of the gospel, though, that no matter what. And that's something I've had to do. This, this is just a little counseling session that I needed. Thank you for being here for this and witnessing it. You know, it, it took quite a few years. We put up our Christmas decorations yesterday. And if you know me... That's a big to-do in our family, meaning I'd rather just take a nap. My wife loves it. The girls love it. Me and my son were just like, hey, wake us up when you're all done. And, and honestly, like, I was just sitting there, and I, I was just hit with just a sense of gratitude just seeing the family and seeing the health that we have. And, and so don't overlook the little things. And for me, it was just kind of crazy. This was the first year. I didn't get real grumpy and all grinchy when it came to the Christmas decorations. And so, kind of excited about that. I was like, oh, this is how normal people feel on Christmas. Okay, I I like this. Let's get some cocoa. Let's sing. And my wife's like, we're taking you to the doctor. We're getting a CT scan. Everything's going to be all right. What's that have to do with anything? I don't know. But I hope you guys did have a good Thanksgiving. But I don't want to overlook that it can be hard. But even through those moments we still have the Lord. You might have spent that Thursday by yourself, but truly it is a redemptive impossibility for us to ever be alone. And if we have the Lord, we are in good company. And so we are walking through Matthew and we are at chapter 17 in a series, uh, who is Jesus? And Matthew is written specific stories and narratives. He's recorded certain things that has happened in the life and the ministry of Jesus because he wants us to know who Jesus is. And this section here is just another big moment in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Um, And it's kind of fun. I think it was like last week or a couple weeks ago, we talked about Uh, different cults of Christianity or different world religions and their view of Jesus and how each of them was missing to some degree or another. And honestly, there's a few portions of Scripture where they really uh, misinterpret and how they get to their understanding of who Jesus is. And this is one of those. The transfiguration is one of those. And we'll talk about why that is in a moment. But if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 17... And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord... It is good that we are here. And if you wish, I will make three tents here one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came, and he touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come. And he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. You know, when you're in ministry and you're being trained up for ministry, they use uh, Jesus as an example. Go figure, right? Pretty good example to follow. And they always talk about how Jesus had the crowds that would follow him. And when you're in ministry, you're going to have crowds like that that, you know, you're, you're, it, it's going to be hard to even be on name basis with people. There's just going to be crowds in your ministry. And then, but you need a 12. And even within that 12, you need a 3, And even Jesus, in that three, he had a one. John, the beloved disciple. And so I think that's why I have a big heart for life groups. Like, I love all of you. But I'm not going to tell you all my crazy. About 12 of you get to hear how really broken and crazy and messed up I really am. The rest of you, you just get to wonder and be curious of what that could be. The other ones, you wish you didn't have that burden to bear. But I think we all need you know, if a dozen was good for Jesus, I'm going to go with the guy that walked out of the tomb on that one. And I think that's why we need life groups. Jesus had it. More than 12. But then he had the three. And there were multiple occasions where he would pulled these three, and it was the same three. It wasn't like, all right, you three are up this time. And now, okay, now you three, it's your turn. Let me show you a little something, something. And then, oh, there's the last three. Yeah, you guys aren't even worth it, but come on. One of you's already going to betray me, whatever. You know, it wasn't like that. He always picked these same three, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. And any time that you see the disciples mentioned in Scripture, especially in the New Testament and the Gospels, they're, already, they're always listed in that order. Because order mattered to the New Testament writers. Showing that Peter had prominence among them. But these three, and we know that later in Acts, that Peter's going to be, you know, kind of the head disciple, head apostle, and he's preaching, and thousands come to the Lord. But he always peels off these three. He did it here, obviously. Another time that we've already read about, you can see it in Mark 5 as well, uh, he healed a Jewish leader, his daughter. Remember she was sick, and she actually had died, but he pulls Peter, James and John, they go into the room and has this whole situation, and he heals her. And then there's going to be one more moment where he takes these three and literally this takes them a little further into the Garden of Gethsemane and prays. And you might be thinking, well, what's so great about these three? Like one's a loud mouth and the other two like, Brothers, the sons of thunder, like what's why do they get this special treatment? That's the Lord, that's His plan. For some reason, He said these three are going to get it. I don't know if they passed the ACT with a higher score than the others, if He liked them, if they had more in common, but for some reason, He pulled these three off. And what's really interesting. If you kick to Galatians, if you get out of the Gospels, you go to Galatians 2, when Paul was getting into ministry and he wanted to make sure the gospel that he was preaching was correct, he went to Jerusalem and he went to these three and said, hey, this is the vision, the revelation that I got. Is this correct? And so even Paul is bringing and submitting himself under these three Galatians, uh, Paul says, Uh, James, Cephas, who's Peter, and John, who seem to be pillars. Well, where did they get that from? Jesus. And it's got to be hard. If I was one of the nine, like, do you not remember Peter? He just, you had to call him Satan last week. And now you're taking him? Like, if anything, he should be the 12th one. Like, you would put him behind Judas any day of the week. But for some reason, he gets special treatment. And, and I'm sure there is bickering and pride and ego issues between those 12. I mean, we're a bunch of guys, right? Isn't that, isn't that what we always do? Like me and my father in law, love the guy, he's probably watching right now. Love you, mean it. We make a competition out of everything, it doesn't even have to be real. Like one day we were out, it was really nice outside, Ashley is great with child and she's laying in a hammock. And I said, I bet I can jump over your pregnant daughter. (laughs) And I did, because I'm a boss like that. (laughs) But what was fun is knowing that he's a little older, maybe a little thicker, he goes, oh, I'm going to do it too. So he runs and jumps and only makes it about halfway and about lands on Ashley. But we just make a competition about everything. If I can do it, he's going to try to do it better. And if he can do it, I try to do it better. That's just how we are because we're guys. Let it be. We golf. I think one time we were sitting on an exercise ball and we were timing each other to see how long we could sit on it without touching the floor. We're always making a competition. We're always trying to be better than each other. And I'm sure those nine are looking at these three thinking, Jesus, let me tell you something about these three. Like, you haven't, like, I've talked to him, I've got to know him. Like, you really don't want these three a part of that. But for some reason, this is Jesus's inner circle. And beyond us, we really don't know why, except this is God's plan. And so he pulls these three, they go up on a mountain, some believe There's a couple different mountains that they think it is, but this is up in Galilee, around Caesarea Philippi. They go up on this mountain. Luke tells us they went up on the mountain to pray. So you imagine there's the 12, and it's like, all right, you three, come with me. Like, I've had that happen. When you get called out and pulled off from the group, usually you're in trouble. And that happened quite frequently when I was a kid. Like, you three, you come with me. Be like, all right, somebody snitched. Who told them what we did? And we have to go off and get in trouble. But Jesus looks at them and says, all right, you three, you come with me. They go up onto the mountain, and they go to pray. And then Scripture just kind of explains it. He was transfigured before them. They say it like it was just every other, you know, it was Tuesday. Just had nothing going on, so Jesus just got transfigured in front of them. And this is like such a huge, deep, thick theological thing that happened. But here's Jesus. He gets transfigured before them. And I love how Matthew describes it. His face is shining like the sun. His clothes become white as light. And all of a sudden, there's Moses and Elijah, which I love because there was no, like, proper introductions. It wasn't like, you know, uh, uh, Peter, Elijah, Elijah, Peter, you know, and uh, John, have you met Moses yet? Have you, you know, hanging around the water cooler together? Have you met the... They just knew instantly those two. There, there was no name tag Sunday about it. It was just they they knew. And he's just transfigured before him. He starts talking to Moses and Elijah I mean, can you imagine being those three? Like, you're thinking, like, oh, man, like, we got to go pray. Like, <laughs> I'll probably fall asleep. And so they go up onto this mountain, they're praying, and all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord is just completely revealed to them. You ima- I mean, just, just try to set, like, why am I seeing what I'm seeing? I should, not, I should not see what I'm seeing, but we're seeing this, and you're just overwhelmed with it. And this word transfigured, its in the Greek, uh, the word is metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis from. Think of a little caterpillar becoming a butterfly. So this is Jesus making a cocoon. No, don't. That's bad theology. But it means changing form in keeping with your inner reality. So here's Jesus. He's changing his form in keeping with his inner reality. See, we know in Philippians, it said that he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. He took on the form of a human. And so in this transfiguration, he's changing that form that, and lines up with his inner reality, meaning he's revealing and showing what does it mean for him to be God. It's almost kind of like Jesus just letting his hair down. doesn't have to be on show for anybody around. He just gets to be who he truly is. We, were, we had our Thanksgiving communion service, and uh, if you were there, just thank you for being a part of that. And we just came together as families, and we talked about what we were thankful for. We took communion, and, and my family comes up, and they always come to my table. I don't know why, but they always come to my table, and we go around the table, and we talk about what we're thankful for. And it was my nine-year-old little daughter. She said, I'm thankful for my church family because we just get to be who we are. We get to be real. We don't have to put on a show. We don't have to put on a, 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 a facade. We can just be us. We can just let our hair down. So thank you for that. But for me here looking at Jesus, like he is in the form of a human and that's probably got to be hard. He had to, and, and the best way we could describe it in human words when Paul says is that he emptied himself. Like this is a moment where he can just be who he is and just let his doesn't have to veil his glory anymore he can just let his inner reality shine through and hebrews 1 3 says that he's the radiance of the glory of god the exact imprint of god's nature of his nature so he's not reflecting the glory of god he's radiating it meaning he's the source of it see we reflect god's glory into the world when people see us, we want them to see Jesus. But Jesus here is radiating the glory of God. And and it was kind of fun. We sang a couple songs and that word was in there, that word glory. And I thought, Andy's reading my notes again. That snob, like, stop it. No. But glory in the Old Testament, you know, it's a visible manifestation of God's presence. We just say the glory of the Lord. So if you remember in the Old Testament, in Exodus, when they built the tabernacle, which was this big fancy tent at the end of Exodus, and when they were all done and everything was complete exactly how God wanted it, the glory of the Lord filled the Holy of Holies, that inner place, where there was this visible representation, manifestation of God's presence, the glory filled that tabernacle. And now here's the crazy thing. We're going from tents and tabernacles to a person. That Jesus is this glory of God, but now in human form. He's radiating the glory of God. John 1, so John who saw this, this that's him right there, Peter, James, and John. John later writes when he writes his gospel, verse uh, 114, he says, We have seen his glory, and it's the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so where they are seeing, like, you're not supposed to see this. understanding the whole tabernacle system and the whole temple thing, like you were only one person was allowed into the inner Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement where the glory of the Lord was. And they were so afraid of walking into the presence, the glory of Lord in an unworthy manner that they would tie a rope around the priest and they'd put little jingle bells on them. Not because it was Christmas, not because they were trying to raise money outside of Walmart, because if there was anything unholy in that priest's life, and he walked into the presence of the Lord dead. Flat out dead. You can't walk into the presence of God in an unholy, unclean manner and live to tell about it. And so they're listening. They got their door up to the ear, listening for the jingle, 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 and all of a sudden it stops. You got to drag out the dead priest. I mean, that is the reverence that they see in this, and that's only one time of year. That somebody's allowed to be in that kind of presence, and now this glory is before Peter, James, and John. I'm going to go down the mountain. I'm going to go back with the other guys. I'm going to see how they're doing. I'm just going to check on them. I think it's lunchtime. I could go ahead and you know start getting some things going. Like I wouldn't want to be there. Like even Isaiah in the Old Testament, if you remember, Isaiah and he's having this vision and he and he's there in the throne room and he's like, I should not be seeing. I'm a man of unclean lips and of a people of like I should not be seeing this whatsoever like i'm gonna die <laughs> yay there we go that's not really how i wanted to go but i guess that'd be a cool way like how'd you die saw the glory of the lord right there wasn't supposed to but i saw it it's kind of like christmas presents you don't see those if you do <laughs> she will kill you and so jesus in this glorious moment his glory just radiating this seeing for who he truly is this inner reality being shown he's speaking with moses and elijah which I love that. Think about Moses for a second. Go back again to the Old Testament memory. He's up on Mount Sinai, and he's just hanging with God. He says, Lord, I got a question. Can I see your glory? I just wonder if Moses, you know, God pats him on the head. Oh, Moses, sweet little Moses. No, you can't. You go hide in that rock. I'm going to pass by, but you can't see my face. But you go hide in that rock. You can kind of peek out a little bit, and I'll walk by, and that's what I'll allow you to see. And even that, having that kind of presence was enough that it made his face shine, almost like mine, right now with all these lights on my bald head. Everybody's like, the lights are reflecting. I said, no, 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 that's the Shekinah glory. (laughs) And so Moses had to veil afterwards, coming down from the mountain, and yes, there's a few of you that said, hey, you might want to veil that dome up there because it's kind of blinding, and we can't. Moses just wanted to see the glory of the Lord, and here we have, in Matthew 17, Moses appearing in the glory of the Lord, with the Lord. Like, what an amazing turn of events. I mean, could you imagine, clear back in Exodus, when he's asking, God, can I just see your glory? And, And I'm sure God, in the back of his mind, is thinking, Moses, you don't even know what you're asking. You're not only gonna see it you're going to be in it. You're going to appear with the Messiah, and you're going to talk with him. So he's talking with Moses, Jesus is, and he's talking with Elijah, which is just, just like two examples. Like when you think about the law and the prophets, that's Moses and Elijah. Like just the two greatest. When you think about the law and the prophets, all of that pointing to Jesus, you know, if you had to sum it up in two people, it's Moses and Elijah. And in Luke 9, this Uh, Luke's account of the transfiguration. It says, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, spoke of his departure. So here's Peter, James, and John, Jesus revealed in glory, being transfigured before them, white everywhere, going crazy. And here's Moses and Elijah and Jesus, they're just hanging out talking. I wonder what they're talking about. Well, Luke tells us. They're talking about the departure of Christ. And I love that. Because, like, what does Moses and Elijah have to do with the departure of Christ? Well, we know that the law and the prophets, all the Old Testament points to Jesus. And even the things in the temple and the tabernacle, Passover, like, all these foreshadowings pointing to Jesus. Sacrificial lamb, the blood, all of this pointing to Jesus. But I also think you could take it a step further. Moses died physically. Died and was buried. Went up on the mountain. He wasn't going to be allowed to walk into the promised land because he didn't do a few things right. And God said, hey, you can go up on the mountain. You can look out over into the promised land, but you're not going to be able to walk into the promised land. So go up there, get you a good look, and then you're going to die. I mean, imagine those words. Be like, you know what? I think I'm going to take a vacation that day. I'm not going to go up on that mountain. I'm going to go anywhere but that mountain. And Moses goes up there, and he's died, and he's buried. But Elijah, if you remember that story, God takes him, and like a whirlwind, he doesn't die, but he's just taken to heaven. And so why would Jesus be talking to those two about his departure? And some of your Bibles might even use the word instead of departure, his exodus is actually the Greek word that is used right there. So they're talking. So, I mean, that makes sense. We're going to talk about an exodus. If I was going to talk about an exodus, I want Moses to be a part of that. But Jesus died just like Moses did. He died physically on that cross and was buried. But he also was taken to heaven and ascended into heaven just like Elijah. Where I think this conversation with these two is a foreshadowing of his death. And he had already told the disciples once, hey, I'm going to be raised. And he even says it again to them. So my death is going to look like if you took the death of Moses and you took Elijah's life being taken into heaven, you mix those two together, that's kind of what it's going to look like here. And so this whole thing is going on, and then there's sweet little Peter. Just cannot shut up. And I resonate with him so much. I really do. And so he is seeing all of this, he's probably looking over at James and John like, can you do you see what we're looking at? You he's like, don't say anything. You know, those two are just. Not gonna say nothing, not Peter. Oh no, Peter got a big mouth. He's gonna say something. He's gotta say something. He's seeing all this. And so I think he's just trying to get almost like theological or trying to get like, hey Lord, I'm with you on this. Like, let's do this together. And he starts talking about, I can make three tents here. I'll make make you a tent, Lord. I'll make one for Moses and Elijah. Like we can camp out, make a little fire, s'mores. It'll be amazing. A little father-son camping, guys night, guys weekend. It'll be really cool. And in the middle of Peter talking, God interrupts (laughs) them. You know you're not speaking the things of God if he has to interrupt you. If you're talking and you're trying to say the things of God, you're trying to point to spiritual things and God has to interrupt you, that's probably a good cue to shut your mouth. Come on, Peter. Like, just go with it here. So, like, if we're, if we're in a moment like this and all of a sudden we have this loud voice from heaven, not a microphone in the back, so don't pull the prank, you know, and all of a sudden God starts speaking, I'm not going to try to over-talk God. I'm going to shut up and go with him. I'm just going to let him speak. And so here's Peter running his mouth. He says, I'm going to make all these tents, and God interrupts him. And I think it's really interesting it's so the same word. He said, I'm going to make three tents. It's the same word. If we go back to John 1.14, it says, the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt literally means tabernacled, meaning that the word of God, Jesus, became flesh and he tabernacled, he tented among us. It is, it is the noun and the verb of the exact same word. And why I think that's really kind of interesting is there's only three times that Jesus, or that God speaks from heaven in regard to Jesus. Three times in all of the New Testament that God speaks from heaven, all in reference to Jesus. One, at his baptism, if you remember that. One's right here at the transfiguration. And again in John 12, at the last week of Jesus's life, that he speaks. And that's where... Uh, different cults of Christianity, they believed Jesus was just strictly human, just like me and you. And it wasn't until either his baptism, or the transfiguration, or there in John 12, when he became God. So he was 100% human and that was it. No, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, they ignore all of that. And it's Jesus, just like me and you, only, not 100% God, 100% human, just 100% human, and then at one of these three moments when God spoke, that's when the God divine nature entered just a normal man named Jesus. The problem with that is the Word of God, which is kind of a big problem in our theologies at times, but the word became flesh. The word was God, and the word was with God, and so it shows that Jesus was always in the beginning, and he came as God, intented, tabernacled with us, just like this glory in the tabernacle or the temple. So this same glory now takes on flesh and is dwelling among us, so I almost wonder if like God is interrupting Peter when Peter's like, I'll make some tents. And God's like, Peter, you don't get it. Shut up about tents. Like that's in the Old Testament. Like we're done with tents. We're not camping anymore. We're going to greater things. We're not going backwards and building more tents. We're moving forward. The glory, yes, of God did dwell in tents. You're right, Peter. But now my glory is dwelling in my son. We're not going back to lesser revelation. We're going to greater revelation. We're going to greater things. This is my son. Listen to him. I mean, can you imagine being in the Old Testament? And again, only one person, the high priest, one time a year could walk into that Holy of Holies and see, understand, experience what the glory of the Lord is. Meaning that's a high population that didn't experience that. And now you have Jesus being the glory, the manifestation of who God is in flesh and more people are experiencing that and even for us today, even more, get to experience the glory of the Lord through who Jesus is. We're not going back to old ways. We're moving forward. We're not going back to old wineskins. We're going to new wineskins. We're not going back to old revelations and how old things are done. Change is coming because I'm doing something different and it starts with my son. My son. In this inner circle of Peter, James, and John, they're always separated off under one topic. So they're having this, we're, we're doing this greater thing with Jesus. Okay, what's this greater thing? Because like? they were all excited about that. Yes, he's the Messiah, we're gonna overthrow Rome, we're gonna be a nation, this is gonna be great. But if you look at that inner circle, Peter, James, and John, every time that they were pulled away, you three, come with me, what was the topic at hand? The ruler's daughter, the last week of Jesus' life in the garden as they're praying in the garden, and even here, the topic, death. The topic was always death. It's like if you were one of those three, like, Jesus, why do you keep pulling us three away, and why are we always talking about death? Can we talk about something a little more Exciting or fun or life giving? Like, this is kind of a. I don't like this class. I don't know if I signed up for this one. Can I audit this? Like, why are we always talking about death? But look at the apostles, James. So look at these three Peter, James, and John. James is the first one killed, John is the last one killed. And Peter, his death was predicted by Jesus at the Sea of Galilee right before the ascension. And so even these three, I think, probably needed a little extracurricular study in regard to what death truly is or what this exodus, this departure really means, because theirs are going to be recorded and preached and taught for generations. And so they're always talking about death, and, and they're looking and saying, okay, so this is you don't want us to tell anybody until the son of man is raised from the dead. And they're like kind of understanding that. I don't think they understood it at all, but they follow up with a question, not the one I would have followed up with. I'd have been like, what do you mean raised from the dead? Like unpack that. I want to know, I want to make sure we are on the same playing field. But they ask another question. Well, what about Elijah? You know, the dude we were just like kind of hanging out with, you were talking with, like, don't the scribes, isn't the Old Testament, the prophecies say that he's supposed to come first? And he did. Jesus said he did. He did come. He restored all things. But the problem is, is they didn't recognize him and they just killed him. You are right. Elijah is to come. Here's, here's the news slash. He's already been here. I mean, can you imagine hearing, like, oh, we're that far along in the story? Like, we're already there. Like, they're looking for step one or two to, to happen. And it's like, Jesus is like, no, 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 we're, we're coming to the end of what this story really means. But they came, and they didn't recognize him, and they killed him. And this is the messenger, the guy paving the way for the Lord. And if that's how they treated him, what do you think they're going to do to the Messiah? If that's how they treated John the Baptist, how do you think they're going to treat the Messiah. And so Jesus tells him, verse 12, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. The cross wasn't just an accident. The cross didn't happen to Jesus. It wasn't like this was this uh, great moral teacher, freedom fighter, uh, trying to overthrow Rome, and they took him and killed him and and squashed us. This is something that just happened to us. Like, our deaths are going to happen to us. But for Jesus, the cross was no mere accident, but only an accomplishment, a fulfillment of God's sovereign plan. No accident. It's always been the mission. And we can look at Hebrews and understand that. We can see it through the life of Jesus. He's always pointing to Jerusalem, pointing to where he's going to go, understanding this is why I came out of obedience to the Father, to go to this cross. And he shows us in this transfiguration, kind of gives us a glimpse, it's like the highlight reel of what is to come. That surrender always leads to glory. We even talked about that last week. It says, you know, take up your cross and follow me. And, you know, why do you want to try to save your life if you're going to lose it? You know, you want to try to gain the whole world. You're going to forfeit your soul. But the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And he's going to repay each person for what he has done. So surrender always leads to glory. And here's Jesus surrendering to the Father's will. This is what God has For me, as this anointed, chosen Messiah, I am to go to this cross. And so first, there is gonna be suffering and the cross, then it's glory and the crown. And the same for us. I don't understand where the idea, where we as followers of Jesus want to partake in this glory, be crowned for what we have done, And somehow do that apart from having to endure suffering, shame, rejection, even death. The idea that God just wants us happy, healthy, and wealthy, I'm sorry, is not biblical. That the very things that he wants to give us, the glory of God is going to come not around suffering, but through suffering. And any of us that have walked through a valley of suffering or a trial or any kind of uh, uh, really dark, hard time in our life and and seen how the Lord has delivered us, are we not stronger from it? And so if you flip it the other way, that means I would be weaker in my faith without it. I've said it before, that's the one thing I miss about cancer, that I miss about my journey through the valley of the shadow of death is my complete dependence and need that I had of Jesus. I would not have experienced that if it would not be for my cancer story. And so for us, we need to surrender to whatever the Lord's will, his plan is for our life and it's gonna look different and it should. I hope you do not have the same life I do, and I really don't want your life either. But it always leads to glory. And so, in this whole moment, listen to the words of the Father as He's speaking from heaven This is my Son. And at the very end of it, listen to Him. Listen to Him. And then at the end, when they're afraid, they're terrified, faces are down, Jesus comes up and He touches them. He raises them up, says, hey, don't have any fear. And they look around, and they saw no one but Jesus only. Yes, Moses, the prophets, Elijah, all of that is good. The law, the problem, all that is pointing to Jesus, but they saw Jesus only. Why is that important? Because the same transfiguration that Jesus examples here for us, he's doing in our everyday life. Romans 12:2 be transformed by the renewing of your mind that word transformed it's the same as he was transfigured it's the same word in the original and so God is transfiguring our mind when we present ourselves as a holy living sacrifice to be holy and blameless So we are not being conformed to the world, but we are being transformed. So when we surrender ourselves to Jesus, he's gonna transfigure our minds. And flip over to 2 Corinthians, if you would. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. I love this. And we all, if you understand what we and all means in the original, it's the same as the English. We all, with unveiled face, not veiling this anymore, we're gonna see face to face. With unveiled face, face face, Beholding the glory of God. Not going to be veiled anymore. Not going to be, you know, we got the, the, the curtain in the temple that's going to separate. None of that anymore. With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, same word, transfigured, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That we're being transformed into the same image. The image of who? God. We're being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And so as we yield to God, we surrender ourselves to Jesus, he's transfiguring our minds and as we yield to the spirit, he's transforming, he's transfiguring us from glory to glory. And so a lot of times we ask ourselves, I don't know what God's doing in my life. That is a lie. We know exactly what God is doing in our life. He is transfiguring us from glory to glory. He is creating us to be Jesus. We don't have to wait until heaven for this. This process is starting right now. Now, how is God doing that in your life? That's what we might not know. And that's okay. But we all have the same end goal, that God is creating in us to be him. That from one degree of glory to another, that he is transfiguring us into his Image. And so as we look at the written word of God, as we look at the living word of God, meaning Jesus, we are transfigured by the spirit of God into the glory of God. Understand who we are, church. Understand what God is doing in us, that he wants us to be his glory. Not later, not when we get to heaven. He wants that same visible manifestation of his glory visible in this world through us, that we get to be that visible representation, that glory. So when people think of the glory of the Lord, they should be able to see us, not for who we are, but for who He is. And so understand the work of Jesus in your life. He is bringing about His glory in us. Like, how amazing is that? Us, these broken, <laughs> worthless vessels that God says, you know what, I see value here. This is gonna be a useful vessel in my hand. it It might be of clay, some vessels a little wider, some vessels a little taller, some a little skinnier, whatever it's gonna be. But this is gonna be a useful vessel in my hands. Why? It's gonna behold my glory. That we, because of his plan, his purpose, hold the glory of God. And so when God is moving and working in our life, And I'm going to go with scripture on this one. It's going to happen through the road of suffering, not around it. That the greatest thing that God can do in our life is going to come through the road of suffering. Now, what does that mean for you? I don't know. But buckle up, hold on tight, and allow the Lord to move and work in your life because he wants you to behold his glory in this world. What greater thing could ever be said of our lives? When we get to the very end, and I'm laying up here in a coffin or whatever my kids decide to do with my old fat body. All right, tell us about Nick. You got about 30 minutes, that's all you get. We're gonna wrap up your life in about 30 minutes. God changed his life from one degree of glory to another. And he was a vessel to hold the glory of God to represent that to the world around us what greater thing could ever be of our life and so when we are walking through that road of suffering when we're walking through whatever that trial that that valley is understand what he's doing he is bringing about his glory in you i didn't know i was going to be healed of cancer But I knew one thing at the end. I wasn't going to have it. I knew I was going to be cancer free one day. This side of glory or that side of glory. But the glory of the Lord was going to work and move in my life. So I don't know how your story is going to end. But what I do know is we're all still here. I don't think anybody's died yet. We all have a pulse. Meaning that God is still at work in your life. And so try not to run from what he is doing. But lean into what he is doing in your life. Father, we love you, we trust you. Even we don't understand how you are working in our lives, we trust what you are doing. That we would be these useful vessels to hold your glory, that we would be transformed, that we would be transfigured from our old self to this new man. And we know this is done individually in our own lives and this is even done corporately as the church. And so, Lord, we surrender to you. We surrender to you into this path of whatever suffering, pain, hurt, whatever it would be, Lord, why? Because your glory is worth it. And so we lay out our lives to you with open hands and we ask, Father, have your way In our lives, whatever brings the most glory here that people would see and know and understand who you are and what you have done for us, we want that in our lives, Lord. So lead us, guide us, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Give us that kind of faith, that kind of courage, that kind of boldness, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Lake, Ozark, you guys are sent. Go love God, love others, impact the world.